On this episode of Documental Radio, I'm speaking with Dr. Tom O'Brien. Dr. Tom, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you. It's a real pleasure to be with you. The pleasure's all mine. And I've been really excited to talk to you about well, all of your work, but we'll start the discussion with the Mediterranean diet. So could you give the listeners an idea of what is actually the diet, <laughs> to be precise, and what do we mis misunderstand about it in general? Good. Really good question. Thanks. Uh, the Mediterranean diet is a uh, uh, consistency in countries around the Mediterranean, such as Greece and Italy and Spain, that um, lifespan has enhanced the, the number of degenerative diseases, such as cardiovascular disease and diabetes and obesity, tends to be less in those countries, at least it was until the Golden Arches got there and, and the colonel's fried chicken, you know, and everything else. Um, so it's not quite as distinct a difference as it used to be by countries, but they identified that there were some similarities in those countries maybe 20, 30 years ago uh, that had lower incidences of cardiovascular disease and less people with high blood pressure. And what was common was a base level of food selections amongst all the countries. So there were a lot of vegetables, uh, uh, green leafy vegetables, a little bit of red wine. Uh, as a matter of fact, this was a really good analogy that came out of some of the authors of studies on the Mediterranean diet. This was a British medical journal in 2004. They published an article called The Poly Pill, a strategy to reduce cardiovascular disease by more than 80%. And what they did was they, they looked at the statistics on different medications and what the success rate was with a particular medication, and they did some uh, 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 tweaking of the numbers to say, you know, if we came up with a poly pill, which included a statin to lower blood pressure, three different medications for, I'm sorry, a statin to lower cholesterol, three different medications to lower blood pressure, a little bit of folic acid, a B vitamin, a baby aspirin. If we put that all six of those ingredients together into a poly pill, we could reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease by 80%. Now, and then the front page of most every paper in the country had that article, the poly pill. Researchers tell us we can reduce our risk of heart disease by 80%. And they were really pushing for this. And, you know, it got on the front page of every paper in the country because the pharmaceutical industry bought a lot of the influence to get it on the front page of every paper in the country. Not every paper, but you, you know what I mean, the major papers. Eight months later, in the British Medical Journal, a team of researchers published the Poly Meal, a more natural, safer, and probably tastier than the Poly Pill strategy to reduce cardiovascular disease by more than 75%. And they used the exact same lines of thinking uh, and numbers, crunching the numbers exactly the same way. And this is what they found, that you could reduce cardiovascular disease by over 75%. If you include this in your diet every day, a little bit of red wine every day, 
a little bit of dark chocolate every day. Fruit and vegetables, almost a pound of fruit and vegetables. We call it the rainbow diet, which is lots of different colors every day. A little bit of fresh garlic every day. A little bit of fresh almonds every day. And if you include those things, which are all part of the Mediterranean diet, you include those, you reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease by 75%. So it was brilliant because these researchers threw it back at the poly pill researchers using their same technology to say, hey, look, you, you can do this with food. So the concept with the Mediterranean diet is that the, the primary volume ingredient in your diet every day is vegetables, primary, and a little bit of fruit and fish every day. Every, I'm sorry, four, four times a week on the fish. Most, not, not quite every day, four times a week. That is the concepts behind the Mediterranean diet. We are seeing uh, an emergence of different variations of the Mediterranean diet these days. One of them is the Mediterranean keto. Can you give us some more information on that version? You bet. The, the keto concept, a ketogenic diet or a keto diet, is designed around not having your blood sugar rise very much when you eat. And you do that by avoiding carbohydrates mainly, and you have more fats in your diet, good fats. Now, fat is not a four-letter word. So it's not that fat is a problem. Bad fats are a problem. Fats with an S is a four-letter word, right? So it's the bad fats that you want to avoid, but fat in general is really good for you. And the Mediterranean ketogenic orientation has a big emphasis on avocados, uh, some nuts, uh, uh, coconut oil, olive oil, using more of the good fats, a little larger volume of the good fats so that you're having your body need to produce more ketones, which is a type of fuel for your brain that is a um, uh, much healthier fuel with less side effects than having higher levels of blood sugar. You've done quite a bit of work on autoimmunity. And so when listeners hear these, the diet, like the Mediterranean diet and Mediterranean keto, they get excited and they might try these things, but they might have some underlying issue that they need to resolve at the same time. Yeah. So how does this relate to your work? The, the book you've written recently on, the, you know, on this topic of autoimmunity, how do we become more responsible with our management of these type of diets, understanding these critical issues under the surface? Well, that's a good question. Um, here's the kicker on autoimmunity. Um, uh, so for people that don't know, autoimmunity means your immune system is attacking your own tissue. And your immune system is the armed forces in your body. It's there to protect you. And there's an army, an air force, a Marines, a Coast Guard, a Navy. We call it IgA, IgG, IgE, IgM, different branches of the armed forces there to protect you. So why does the armed forces attack its own country, attack our own tissue? Why would that happen? And when you understand that that happens, because I'll give you an example. Most people have heard of bisphenol A or BPA. That is a uh, chemical, um, it's in the family of phthalates that are used to mold plastics. So when you drink water out of a plastic water bottle, there's BPA in the water. 
especially if it's been sitting in the sun for a while. And when you buy a water bottle of water, perhaps it was sitting on the dock in cases or pallets of water sitting outside on the dock in the sun for a while before it got brought inside. You pull it out of a cooler in the 7-Eleven or something, and it's nice and cold, but it may have been in the sun the day before for all we know. You know, so BPA levels tend to be high uh, in uh, plastic water bottles. But when you drink that water, you can't taste the BPA, but BPA gets into your bloodstream and it has an affinity for different tissues. Um, most common is the thyroid or the brain. So just Google BPA and thyroid. Look at all the studies that come up on autoimmune diseases of the thyroid associated with having too high a level of BPA in your system because the BPA binds onto your thyroid tissue and many other tissues, including the brain. But if you get this, this foreign toxic substance hooked onto your own tissue, technically it's called a neoepitope, a new molecule, and your immune system says, what's that? That's not my thyroid. I better fight that. And then your immune system attacks the BPA thyroid complex, that neoepitope, it attacks that. And you damage the thyroid cell as you're breaking up the BPA. When you damage a thyroid cell, your immune system has to make antibodies to your thyroid to get rid of that damaged cell. Get, get that debris out of here. And so you make antibodies to your thyroid. And that's not a problem. The problem is when BPA is getting into your bloodstream and hooking onto your thyroid every day or every other day. Then you've got it hooking on your thyroid, your immune system attack makes antibodies of thyroid trying to protect you because it's attacking that neoepitope. You get damage to your thyroid cell. Then you have to make more thyroid antibodies to clean up the old and damaged thyroid cells that of the collateral damage of this protective mechanism. And this cycle goes on and on and on until your thyroid's not working very well anymore. Now you start getting some symptoms. You get cold hands and feet. You wear socks to bed. You hit the snooze two, three times in the morning because you just can't get up and get it going. You can't lose weight even if you don't eat for two, three days. You can't lose that five pounds you're trying to lose. You feel a little depressed or a little sluggish. You're a little bit too much. I don't want to. That's all thyroid, suggestive of thyroid. And you think you had a thyroid problem. So you go to the doctor and you said, oh, you got a thyroid problem. Here's some thyroid hormone. It's not a thyroid hormone deficiency that you have, but rather an immune system attacking your thyroid called an autoimmune disease because BPA is binding onto your thyroid. Get the BPA out of there. You know, my term is stop throwing gasoline on the fire. And it's not just the thyroid. It could be your brain. It could, uh, very commonly, it's the brain, but these neoepitopes that form throughout the body because of the toxins we're exposed to. Right. So we have to resolve these issues before we go on to any type of diet or fad that we hear out there in the, with the, the wealth of information on the internet. We have to be educated first. There's another book that you wrote on fixing your brain. I think it's really important to understand the benefits of certain diets like the Mediterranean diet in terms of brain power. So how, how could we bring that into the conversation? I think it has a very important relevance here. Here's a big picture. Every disease, as far as I know, every disease is a disease of inflammation. At the cellular level, the cell is on fire. 
The question is, is it a kidney cell or a brain cell? Is it gasoline or kerosene? So stop throwing gasoline on the fire is the first concept in dealing with inflammatory diseases, and every disease is an inflammatory disease as far as I know, every disease. So what do you mean stop throwing gasoline on the fire? You have to understand where it's coming from. And the most common source of inflammatory triggers, the gasoline, if you will, is what's on the end of your fork. That is most common. And if people think that you have to have symptoms when you eat a food in order for it to be um, uh, a problem for you, the answer is no. For every one person that gets symptoms in the gut when they eat something, there are eight people that don't. They get brain symptoms or kidney symptoms or thyroid symptoms, and you can't feel that when it's happening. So we think if we eat something and we don't, our gut doesn't hurt, it's fine. The ratio is eight to one on that one. So the, what's on the end of your fork is the most common inflammatory trigger. Now, you may be living in a house with mold, and that may be the primary inflammatory trigger. There are many others, but the most common is what's on the end of your fork. And in general principles, there is nothing that's been shown consistently to be as beneficial in study after study after study as the Mediterranean diet. That is the most common approach to food selection as a baseline that people should start from. And what does that mean? It means you eat a rainbow diet of vegetables, uh, um, so depending on the author you talk to, anywhere from five to nine different colors every day. You know, Blueberries, for example, one cup of blueberries per day for three years, you've reversed cognitive dysfunction of up to 13 years within three years of eating a cup of blueberries a day. Wow. So I recommend to all my patients, you know, buy frozen organic blueberries at Whole Foods or your store, whatever store you go to, keep them in the freezer and have a cup every day. I love to have them cold and frozen, you know, I just eat them the way they are. They're a little bit sweet, it satisfies that sweet craving, um, they're tasty, and uh, uh, one cup a day for three years, you reverse cognitive decline of up to 13 years. So, but not just blueberries. You want some orange carrots because of the vitamin A in carrots. You know, you want some green broccoli. You know, you want some red peppers or raspberries. So you just want color. Um, for people who are not dialed into the uh, idiosyncrasies of foods and things, you just operate from counting colors. If you count colors and don't eat garbage food, you're on the right track. You're heading in the right direction. Well, I can have a little uh, ice cream once in a while. Well, it depends. Most people, no, you can't because it's gasoline on the fire. You know? Right, right. <laughs> So it just depends. Well, I don't feel bad when, you, when I eat it. Well, we'll put that on your tombstone because the ratio is eight to one, right? So it doesn't matter how you feel when you eat. It, of course, matters if you don't feel good. But it doesn't matter if you don't feel good. You may be developing oxalate crystals from spinach, but you're eating spinach every day because you think it's healthy for you. And you can't feel when you're developing oxalate crystals, but they're the basis of most types of kidney stones. And that is one of the most painful 
of all conditions to get is kidney stones, passing kidney stones. That really hurts. So in terms of food selections, color and variety is primary. My friend, Dr. Stephen Masley, just came out with his new book. Um, it's The Mediterranean Approach. He doesn't talk about the Mediterranean diet. He talks about the Mediterranean approach. It's a comprehensive overview as to what those countries around the Mediterranean did for so many years. Most, many people in those countries aren't doing that anymore. They're eating too much of the American way of eating. So they're getting bigger and bigger. Their coffins are having to be double size, you know, double wides like here in the U.S. Uh, but um, he talks about the Mediterranean approach. It's a beautiful um, coffee table cookbook that he did. Uh, and he's written a number of books on cardiology and cardiovascular health. So he's got a great overview. He's an excellent functional medicine practitioner. So for someone who wants the most sophisticated guide in what version of Mediterranean diet would be good for me, Dr. Masley's book is right on the money for that. Fantastic advice. And for the listeners, I'd highly recommend that you check out Dr. Tom on all social media platforms uh, and his website for just a wealth of information on what we're talking about here and his books that were mentioned at some point in this episode. Dr. Tom, to close the interview, can you tell the listeners where they can actually find you online and perhaps any projects you're currently involved in? Oh, thank you. Sure. Um, the dr.com, the doctor.com. Just don't spell the word doctor out, just the dr.com. And there's a, um, a project that we've done. It's called Betrayal, the autoimmune disease solution they're not telling you. We went to seven different countries, my wife and I, and I interviewed the greats in the field of immunology. And I know because I've read the research, I'm one of the geeks that reads the research. And I knew the questions to ask them. So I didn't ask them, well, how did you get into this world? You know, the, the basic, I, I mean, I went right to the heart of it. And for example, Professor Yehuda Schoenfeld, the godfather of autoimmunity, when I interviewed him, 28 of the PhD students who received their PhDs in immunology under him, there are many more, but 28 of them chair departments of immunology in med schools and hospitals around the world. They're his students. This is the godfather. And his new book had just come out, Vaccines and Autoimmunity. So I said, Professor, how do vaccines um, contribute to the development of autoimmunity? And he said, we're very much in favor of vaccinations. They've saved millions and millions of lives. However, if the child can, carries the, or the adult, carries the gene HLA-DRB1, and about 30% of the population does, they are at higher risk of developing complications from the adjuvant. That's the aluminum or the mercury in the vaccine. Those people, in those people, genetically sensitive, caution is advised in the administration of the vaccines. What does that mean? It means you don't give a child who's HLA-DRB1 six vaccinations or three vaccinations at one time. You give them one, and then you wait a couple of weeks and make sure everything's okay. Then you give them another one. And there is no benefit to piggybacking vaccines together, except it's cheaper to produce so the pharmaceutical company makes more profit. There is no other reason than that. But you put these kids at risk. And I tell doctors when I'm on stage all the time, don't ever say, 
vaccines cause autism. You sound like a nutcase. Or because every child would get autism from vaccines. However, you can say vaccines may cause autism if that child's genetically sensitive and it takes them over the edge of threshold. There's good science. There's lots of papers on that. So it may be the trigger that takes them over the edge. So that's Professor Schoenfeld. And I interviewed 85 scientists and the doctors who were following the recommendations of the scientists and the patients of the doctors who were complying with the doctor's recommendations from the science of the researchers and the patients reversing their MS, reversing their rheumatoid, reversing their chronic fatigue, reversing their Lyme after seeing seven doctors, reversing their Hashimoto's thyroid disease again and again and again and again. And you sit there and your jaw drops when you know these people are sincere because I'll never forget the 44-year-old woman in London. She said, you know, I took the tube to come here today. And that's the underground train. And she said, the tube station was seven blocks walk. And I walked. It's not a big deal. And then she started to tear up. And she said, but it is. And then we show you the picture of her two years ago in a wheelchair. She can't walk. And she has seven lesions on her brain. And today, she has no symptoms and two lesions left on her brain because she changed her diet. That's all she did was change it. She went gluten-free and got some other foods out of her diet. That's all she did, following her doctor's advice. And she started feeling better within a couple weeks, and she stayed with it. And now she only has two lesions left on her brain. And if you ask a neurologist, can you reverse lesions on a brain? They say, no, of course not. Well, I've got five, six, seven studies in my all-day course called Certified Gluten-Free Practitioner Program. I have seven studies with the MRIs from the studies showing the reversal of lesions in the brain on a gluten-free diet. Now, that's not true for everybody. But if that's the trigger that set you off, you, you got to stop throwing gasoline on the fire. So that's betrayal. And we've had over 600,000 people watch it now. And it's free. It's at the dr.com forward slash betrayal. And you can get it there. You can watch it there. And uh, I'd recommend everyone at least watch the first episode to see if you're interested because I, it's captivating. You know, <laughs> people go, wow, I didn't know this. I don't, and you're empowered to ask different questions about how can I be healthier. Right, right. Wow, that's, that's amazing. The listeners should definitely check that out. Dr. Tom, thank you so much for your time. It's been a fantastic interview. Thank you, Alejandro.